Alright, shit, we gotta get started. What what number is this? I never know. You think I'd do this show? Who you know forty forty five. Forty four. I'm guessing. 44. Hey, how long okay. have we been doing this now? Has it been two years? Yeah, oh, we're, we're going on two years up, now. Yeah, this, that's years. what I thought. Yeah, someone asked me that, and I said I thought it was a little over a year, but then I was thinking again. I thought, I think it's been two. Yeah, I, he- I heard that lie and screamed at my screen. <laughs> All right, it's the Chance of Gaming Podcast, episode 44, where there's no intro music. It's just me saying that. And um, with me always is Richard from St. Louis and Roy from Holland, Michigan. Welcome. Good evening, gamers. This is Rich. It's he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. <laughs> R.I.P. Terry Jones. This is Roy. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Life of Brian really like blew my mind when I watched it because I watched it uh, like around junior high, and it was like I swear it was like a friend of a friend's tape. And mm-hmm. like my my parents, my dad had like um, uh, the Monty Python box set and had. The uh, the main one we watched was the the night one, uh, the medieval one. Life of Brian or uh, Holy, no, Grail. Uh, Holy, Holy Grail. Holy Grail. Holy Grail. Of course. So you know that was my familiarity with it, and so you know I, this is like in the in the deep south. You know, raised the Baptist church is really big down here. So throw it on Life of Brian, and it just blew my mind. Like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's like dicks every other shot. It seems, you know. So and those guys got in a, a hell of a lot of trouble with the Church of England. Like I remember seeing a like a talk show, and it was uh, some of the some of the members of Python and some some deacon or bishop or whatever with the Church of England. And that dude that dude was upset over this film. I I could see that. Yeah. Back. <laughs> I'm just saying it's as good as Jehovah. And, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Blessed are the cheesemakers. The one, the one I remember is the two things that I always remember from that life of Brian is biggest dickus. Yeah, and um, (laughs) and his wife incontinentia buttocks, and uh, the whatever it was where he was trying to write uh, the guy writing the graffiti on the walls. Yes, and and they made him write it a hundred times. Yes, yes, (laughs) yeah. Anyway, this I forget. This is a tabletop podcast. I don't know, which is weird. Yeah, that's what I hear, and okay. it, it is weird. Like actually listening to like other tabletop podcasts, and it's like. Oh, so I thought we were going to talk cars again this week. It's like they're really not. <laughs> these guys don't get off, or, or when they do get off on a tangent, it's completely like wargaming related. And they're like, oh, oh, excuse me, sorry, we went down that Avalon Hill rabbit hole. I know that's not what you people want, you want to hear about. The, I'm like, golly, you kept it on point. I mean, we talk about bullshit for at least 15, 20 minutes <laughs> that has nothing to do with tabletop gaming. We talk it's, about the weather like anyone cares as they're uh, listening three days later from a different part of the country. Yeah. It's a, they're associated with nerdy shit. Yeah, I, it, I guess I, it is. Um and look, before I forget the sponsor, we'll come back to to uh, nerdy shit. Is uh, Alter Dementia, and you'll see that posted in the show notes. This great 3D printing. I actually, you know, I shot a thing. If you guys saw it on YouTube of the the six millimeter stuff I got from him, I was really impressed with that and the quality, and uh, so much that I decided to order some more stuff. I ordered it yesterday because um, I'm going to talk about playing Flames of War later, and um, talk about 
how 3D printing is affecting that. And uh, so I ordered a whole bunch of tanks and stuff. And so, but anyway, you can go over there to alterdementia.com. You can see it in the show notes and use the discount code COG2019 for 20% off your order. So there you go. I like how it's just staying 2019. Yeah, five years. works five, in the future. Yeah, five years from now, you know, when we're doing this from our flying cars and stuff, it will be that. Yeah. Either that, or for like the, from the underground bunker where we're at, because the surface has gotten too radioactive <laughs> to live. I'm not sure which way I want to go right now. And uh, and Fighting Roy has the zombie the, horde. Yeah. Roy has oceanfront property up in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's next to the Arctic waste has moved down to it's what we used to call Ontario. And yeah, I, I can get a nice tan off the glow from Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how that was going. But uh, gummit, what was I going to say? I said, hold on. I don't want to forget that. <laughs> nerdy shit. I believe oh, yeah, is where yeah, you yeah. left ner- off. Yes, nerdy shit. Uh, are you guys watching Picard? No, no. I, although I don't even know what Earth. that is. I mean, I know who Picard is. Is that a new show? Yes. It's on, on okay. CBS All Access. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I've, I know. I heard that Data was going to be on it. I really, which, really, really. Did. They killed him off, but then they they're bringing him back in this episode or in this this series, right? Well, kind of. You'll you yeah. You definitely would have to see, and it's it's really neat how that happens, and yeah. So yeah, I, I is it is it his head on a on a body of a spider? Because <laughs> that'd be bitching. It's just a, it's like his head on a on like a stick and Picard has to carry it around, you know. Oh, it's in a jar. Like It's Futurama. in a jar, yes, like in Futurama. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, tell me about, you You brewed beer, Roy, and this, this I want I to know. Yes, so uh, I turned 50 last weekend and for my birthday, my dad gave me a beer kit, so like an actual legitimate beer kit with, with glass carboys and everything. And uh, it's sitting in my coat closet, just bubbling away. Although it's kind of, it's settled down now. So I think probably next weekend I'll bottle it. Um, but so I have a bunch of beers that I want to try making um, going forward. So then there's a kind of a beer called Raup beer, which is, uh, it's a smoked beer. So they take the, the grain and they smoke it. Um, and it's, I've heard it referred to as liquid bacon. Hmm. So I think I'd like to give that a try. And then my wife really likes sours. Ooh, me so too. So I'd like to try it. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then uh, when I was in Arkansas, I had a, it was a Mexican beer that was had uh, jalapeno in it, which mm. was really interesting. Jalapeno. So do you so, literally just put, whether it's bacon or sour fruit or whatever, you literally just put it in with the mix and let it brew in there? Or is there something well, else you have know. to do? I don't know. So if anybody has a recipe, if anybody has like a, a, a proven recipe for any of those things, uh, hit me up on Twitter at uh, Roy Toy Cowboy. Um, and so like with the Ralk beer, I think maybe I'll just put some liquid smoke in it and try to roll with that. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's that's kind of one of the things I'm doing. I, so. I, I wanted to mention like this, the home brewing thing in Mississippi about six or eight years ago was so just enormous, just incredibly mm-hmm. enormous. And the main reason why is because we had all these laws on the books of all these great beers that are sold all over the place could not be sold in Mississippi. So we they started this, it was this uh, grassroots program called Raise Your Pints. 
and it was all about raising the the legal alcohol in Mississippi. I think at the time was about five percent, mm-hmm. and so it kept us from getting like all these you know ninety percent of these great beers or whatever. So um, yeah, so the homebrew the thing which was illegal at the time became just enormous, and I used to go to like little you know tastings and stuff like that that they would have, and yeah, anyway. Mm-hmm. It was just. A Do you guys still have blue laws in Mississippi? Oh yeah, I think we inv- I, we invented blue laws. I swear, and, <laughs> you know we're we're very proud of them. There are places in Mississippi. I mean, everybody's talking about you know like legalizing weed, and I'm like, well, there's still places in Mississippi where you can't buy cold beer. There's places where you can't buy uh, beer on Sunday. You know, all yeah, the, all were... the liquor stores in Mississippi are closed on Sunday. Oh. So. There were towns near me that uh, that were uh, dry on Sundays, but they've since relaxed all that. And I remember the the, the flood of edito- editorials that made it to the paper about how it was going to ruin the town that uh, you know cats and dogs living together sort of thing. Oh yeah. If uh, if beer was legalized or whatever. I, I, but now we go and play bar trivia there. <laughs> Uh, Alabama did it first. Uh, about they beat us by about two years raising their alcohol level, and famously it went viral on the internet. Was this uh, guy? This I don't know if he was a senator or representative ranting and raving about what's wrong with the beer we got. And uh, <laughs> if I, if I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes. It was pretty funny, you know. And yeah. So anyway, uh, moving on. Tell me, uh, tell me about Lodge Forty Nine because I'm completely interested and have almost joined a secret society at least twice in the past ten years. Okay, so I found I, this was a recommend from another podcast I listened to called Geologic. You the listen Geologic to other podcast. podcasts? I do. That is not allowed. And man, oh, don't, damn. don't let me ever. Sorry, catch I let you. the cat out of the bag. Don't let me catch you like being on another podcast. That's even worse. <laughs> So. so this is a show that's there's two seasons out right now and it's it's a very strange show and it begins with this dude out on the beach uh, looking for treasure on the beach with a metal detector and he finds this ring and it's a gold ring and he's like well my payday is in and he takes it to the pawn shop and the pawnbroker says this is a lynx ring and um, you know you get it by by becoming a member of the lynx lodge. And he says, well, how much is it worth? He says, it's not worth anything. It's not real gold. And um, so he later on is running, driving his car, and he runs out of gas because he's broke. And he's looking around, and he happens to run out of gas right in front of the Lynx Lodge. And so it's a very mysterious show about who the Lynx are and what their um, what their history is. And it keeps hinting and beating around the bush that the magic that they're that they're doing is real, but they never quite say it. So it's, it's a very mysterious show um, about a dude who's really down on his luck. And uh, he joins the lodge, this, this Lynx lodge. So um, if anybody's interested in lodge 49, check it out. It's, it's a, it's a very odd show. I am completely fascinated by uh, American secret societies. Well, I guess they're not technically just American. They're they're kind of worldwide, the, the particular ones I'm talking about. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't – I do not understand. I cannot comprehend how they used to be so huge and now they're they're not. All, like all over Mississippi, they, there's these enormous – 
beautiful lodges in every pretty much every major city and there's a lodge in pretty much every small town and I would argue that about 90% of them have been taken over by like the state because uh, they're they don't have enough membership anymore and so oh, yeah. yeah and so there's this enormous building that they can't afford to keep up and it's on the you know like the the state historic places and whatever and so yeah they end up turning it into like uh, the new courthouse or whatever and it's just I don't know I well, I don't get it and that's kind of the theme of this of the first season is that like they're going to close the lodge and what keeps it alive. Um, and, you know, they talk about the golden age of the lodge in the 1950s, about how the the place was bustling the whole time. And now it's just kind of it's it's dwindled to, you know, maybe a dozen members. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's there's plenty of, of interesting things to, to see about it and and just mystery from every turn. And it's plenty funny, too. I, I wonder what happened. Uh, like uh, the ones we have uh, in the area, we have uh, the Masons, which I, they're pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, the Elks is one. And I believe there's like one more that has kind of a. Uh, is that the Moose? Nah, it's not that. And of course, you know, being in the South, a lot of it is kind of drawn along racial lines. Oh, yeah. Due to, you know, the way history was. I believe uh, there are, down here, there are traditionally uh, black Mason lodges and traditionally white Mason lodges. And Mm -hmm. then I think, like, uh, the Elks is uh, mostly uh, black in in, in Mississippi. And uh, that's not the case at other, you know, other places. I don't, I don't understand. I, I don't, I don't understand like the actual societies itself. But yes, of course, because it's the South and they have this long history of being here. Yes, it's it's divvied up on racial lines. So, hmm. what what are the yep. ones in you guys' area? In St. Louis, there's one called the uh, the Veiled Prophet Association or something like that. It's and they they used to so they. They used to actually throw the Fourth of July party for all of St. Louis. He used to call it the VP Fair. It was huge. I mean, it's it's one of the biggest Fourth of July celebrations in the whole country. Um, it has since, um, sometime maybe twenty years ago, definitely within my lifetime, it's no longer the VP Fair. Now they just call it Fair St. Louis. Um, but the Veiled Profit Association is the ones that started like that. Started that they had a like a VP parade every year before, right before the the fair fourth of july parade and and some debutante would be the veiled prophet princess or whatever and yeah it's some big secret society for super rich people there was some guy about 10 or 15 years ago that spilled some of the beans on it and and there's an article out there somewhere you can read something about it on it doesn't sound all that interesting i don't think they're doing anything nefarious i think it's just rich people hanging out together Mm. (laughs) and helping each other out yeah (laughs) I don't know, man. I've I've seen eyes wide shut. They do weird stuff when rich people <laughs> hang out. It's a weird thing. You wear the veil, but you take your pants off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look, why don't we like start a secret society of war game podcasters? That's what we should do. Like, like I could come up with that. I, I've seriously been thinking about like a joke shirt. I know I never do this. Um, <laughs> a, a joke shirt to wear to conventions. That's something. But I couldn't find a good anagram for it. Um, not an anagram. What is 
is it where it's it's like WASP means something? White Anglo-Saxon oh, Protestant. Yeah, but what do you, what do you call that? It's not an anagram. That's where you move things around. An acronym. And an acronym. An acronym. Or an initialism is another yes. word for it. An acronym. I never heard that, but so I couldn't, yeah. find a, I couldn't find a good acronym for like war game, small war game podcaster union or something something like that. You know, if we come up with something, I I, I think I'd make shirts or something. It'd be it'd just be fun or stupid. I don't know or both. <laughs> You know, whatever. As long as we're having fun and we're not hurting anyone, it's okay. So, <laughs> unlike the other podcast, here we are like 20 minutes in and we haven't even talked about a game. But, Richard Roy is going to change that and tell me all about Fire and Axe. Fire and Axe is a, uh, it's a Viking game. So you have, you it's played over three ages. And uh, there's sagas that come up every every now and then. And it's they're they're divided by the different various three ages, and so it's kind of a pick up and deliver. So like you can you if you're gonna go out on the ocean on your ship, you can fill it up with soldiers, and you can fill it up with goods, and then you can go and trade at various ports around Europe. So like you can go to Rome and trade with Rome, but you can also attack Rome, and uh, get some victory points for that. So you're gonna you send your ships out. You're gonna trade. You're going to conquer and you're going to settle, and um, it's yeah, it's a it's a pick up and deliver and a conquer sort of game. So it's um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's fun. Is there any direct conflict with the other players, or is it just no everyone other okay. than you're um, going to there's cards that you can play on on other players like oh, okay. there's one called poor seamanship where you if you play that card you can move them back one sea space. Uh, and maybe keep them from getting to where they want to go. Um, but it has a it has a wind gauge on it, and um, so like in the western or in the eastern sea, you can travel up to five or maybe six sea spaces. But if you spin it all, if you spin the wind gauge all the way around, then maybe you can only move four spaces. And if you go beyond that speed, then you're going to start taking casualties either in soldiers or in goods. Um, so there, the various sagas are like, uh, settle Greenland or settle, um, you know, places in, in, uh, in Russia, but it's mostly about, about moving your ship around the board and, um, trying to complete the various sagas. So that's a uh, fire and ax. Now I will say two things. Number one, I wasn't sure if Fire and Axe was a Viking game or one of those uh, firemen game. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, and uh, the, I wanted to ask you while we're on the subject, um, a, a guy at my local shop mentioned wanting to play eight eight seven eight hundred and seventy six Vikings. Are you familiar 878. with that? Eight seventy eight. Eight seventy eight. Oh, it's eight, not six. Yeah. Okay. Eight seven eight. Yes. Eight seventy eight Vikings. Now, does that mean that's the year, or they're actually, yes. or, huh, or they're actually eight hundred and seventy-eight Vikings? I don't know. No, yeah, it's the year. All of those, uh, all of those in that series start with the year name. So it's like eighteen twelve. I think there's seventeen eighty-nine, eight seventy-eight. There may be more, but those are three I can think of off the top of my head. Have you guys I think those it? are. I've uh, seen this before. No, I have not. Um, I I have one, and I got it out and looked around at it, and I was. 
it was one of those really super light borderline war games that I thought might be fun to play with my daughter, but she didn't really show any interest, so I actually just sold it, and it's sitting in a box ready to ship out right now. Hmm. Okay. That's not 878, but this one is 1812, but yeah, same series. I think there are Academy games that makes those. Yeah, they are. And I will say I'm also getting completely lost in all the different uh, dates. We're just we're just throwing dates out. 1066, <laughs> 1812. You know, okay. Sorry. Carry on, oh. Roy. Oh, that's that's fine. Uh, and then uh, I've been playing some coverage with my wife, which uh, I don't know. We enjoy doing that. So I think I'm I'm, I'm ahead three to two as far as games go. Now, yeah. tell I okay. Cribbage is one of those games that you always kind of see in the background like when you're a kid usually there's a group of old ladies sorry Roy. or um you know or that's quite all right it's, it's, sorry Roy's wife you know it's it's all all playing or you know it's it's a group of, of like your your parents friends or whatever or maybe mm-hmm. your parents even actually have a, a cribbage group it's like that one, and I can't think of the other one. It's I want to say Whist, but it's not. It's not Whist. It's um, it. Anyway, so I just was very curious as to like what kind of game Cribbage is. I know you play it with cards, right? Yeah, and you play it with the board that you're you peg points on. Yeah, yeah. so I, I see those in uh, antique stores all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, you can get one at Walmart for like two dollars, probably. Oh yeah. The, the board is is just the scoreboard. That's all it is. Right. But it's just yeah. I, once I figured out what they were, it's just weird. You know, you you start like you know when you get old enough to go to antique stores and enjoy them, going through, and you're like, what are these weird boards everywhere? Is this was this for <laughs> cheese or something? I don't get it. You know, and somebody's like, no, that's a cribbage board. You know, you move it around. And what it reminds me is that um, like the game of life. Is what it reminds me of, like when you you know you put your little peg in the car and driving around. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. So it's well, funny though that you say that, Roy, because my mother-in-law taught it to my daughter over Christmas when we were there for a couple of days, and oh, and yeah. my 19-year-old daughter loves it. She this it was the first time she ever played it, but she played it probably so five or six play, times in a couple players? days. Yeah, she played with my mother-in-law. Yeah. Okay. So you can I play two, three, or four players. Okay. But I three and played four are significantly different. Yeah, I played it with my dad a long, long time ago, one, like when I was probably a teenager. Um, but yeah. I think we only ever played two-player. Okay. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's a, um, you're dealt a hand of six cards, and then two of those cards have to go into the crib, which is kind of a separate hand that the dealer gets at the end of the play. So, like, you look at your hand of six cards, and you're looking for things, you're looking for runs, you're looking for um, straights, which I guess is a run also. Never mind. Um, so runs, uh, flushes, and things that add up to 15. Or, yeah, add up to 15. Or pairs. So, and then in the play, you're going to try to you lay down a card. And then, like, so all face cards are worth 10. So if I lay down a face card, I'd say 10. And then if my, player has a, the, my opponent has a 7, they're going to lay down the 7 and say 17. And if somebody can get to 15, that's worth some points. And if somebody can get to 31, that's also worth some points. And if somebody can make a run, that's also worth some points or pairs. And so basically there's you you play your four cards that you have, and then you count the four cards in your hand. And then if you're the dealer, you also count the crib. So it's a game that favors the dealer, and you peg around um, – 
to place to 121 points. So the first to 121 is, is a winner. So that's cribbage. Hmm. Okay. And uh, I, I now just remembered what I was thinking of because a cribbage is not a trick-taking game. No. Nope. But what I was thinking of was bridge, which is a trick-taking game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. And and up here in Michigan, the, the kind of the game of choice for the state is euchre, which is a trick-taking game. Have you guys heard of euchre? Yes. E-U-C-H-R-E. Yeah, it's more of a northern game, like Canadian and northern states. Yeah. 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 And I I and I understand euchre a little bit, but I've not I don't know the strategy and I don't really know how to play. But that's uh that's a big thing up around here. It's E U. Is that yeah. C H R E? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was just I was looking at it on the uh, the list of trick taking games because they have them like Wikipedia does. I have this posted in the show notes if you really care. Uh, in like French, German, Piquet, and then uh, they do like a regional. And I will say they actually list there are tarot uh, trick taking games, and that is a rabbit hole I could absolutely go down and will go down later because. I think that's really neat. Always, I always thought tarot cards were just really cool. Just the artwork and stuff was, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But yeah. Anyway, tell me about. So, oh, if you play with tarot uh, cards, you're going to get a dread curse. <laughs> yes, a dread curse is the next game that I played. Uh, and so this is a pirate themed game wherein you take various roles of a of a ship, and so like the gunner will give you. Uh, you're going to take coins out of a bag, um, and the coins are, have various uh, values on them. Some that go up to five, and then one, uh, two of the coins have the black spot. And if you have the black spot at the end of the game, then you've lost. Um, but the, you're, you're collecting coins out of the bag, and then you're going to there's a there's a steal phase where like so like the captain can take up to four coins. The first mate takes one coin less than the captain. And then when it gets around to the steal phase, you can steal from the people on either side of you. But if you get the black spot, then you got to find a way to get rid of it. So the, the game plays until the bag is empty out of coins, but anybody can, can cut and run um, and just get out of the game uh, ahead of time. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave with what I got, and hopefully it's enough to win. Um, but the game plays around until either the bag is empty or everybody but one person is, lo- is left. So it's it's a role selection game and it's a pressure luck game, kind of thrown together. And that's Dread Curse. Okay. Is it actually uh, Pirates of the Caribbean themed or? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I know. You yeah, because that cover looks a whole lot like. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's not. Because of licensing issues, it's not, but it's it's for sure. Um, and I'm I'm going to be bad with the character names, but for, it's you know the same sort of characters as Pirates of the Caribbean. But of course, they don't want Disney to sue them, and they don't want to pay licensing fees to Disney. <laughs> so so it's Dread Curse instead of of Pirates of the Caribbean card game. Okay. So then, uh, my my daughter. My 11-year-old, she's going to be 11 on Friday, on Saturday, I mean, um, has really become a fan of this game called Spy Club. And it's, so it's this is a it's it's a legacy game, so you can play it over. You 
play a campaign over five different games and um it kind of feels a little bit like a choose your own adventure sort of game but it's a co-op game where you're solving a crime in your in your hometown um and it's it's clever and uh, my my kid really likes it so i'm going to keep playing it so does it have, game, a, does it have adventures that you go through or well so you're like in pandemic where you have to collect uh you know four or five cards of the same color Got to it. solve so, okay so it's not yeah. like the adventure book series where you're going through a specific adventure no okay no. so it's it's a little bit like pandemic and it's a little bit like a um well it does have the adventure deck where different events come up based on what you solved so like if you if you solve there's five different aspects to the crime that you're trying to solve and based on what aspect of, of it that you solved is kind of what happens and unlocks other cards going down the line. So I think after you play the five uh, games, you can reset it and play the campaign again and maybe make different choices about where you're going to go and explore all the different cards in the deck. And I think that the deck of the adventure deck is maybe about 200 cards that, that, um, you know, change back and forth based on what your, your choices you make out of it. So that's a uh, spy club. Yeah, I think my kids um, have it. I, I seem I I know the logo and all that stuff. I remember seeing it in the back of a closet somewhere, but I just can't remember <laughs> us actually playing it a lot. But mm-hmm. yeah, so um, yeah, with I, you know my 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 kid likes it, so I'm going to keep playing it. Sure, absolutely. And then uh, we played some games of Splendor. Which is kind of a, uh, I don't know. We kind of fell out of playing it. I think we're going to kind of get back into playing it a little bit more. So this is a, you guys probably know Splendor, don't you? Yeah. Okay. I'm familiar so, with that one. Yes. Okay. And um, so I played a couple of games of that, and I'm I'm always trying to play catch up. It seems like when mm-hmm. I play that. So, Have you ever? Do you play with the expansions, or you just play the base game? Just the base. Okay, because I've never played the expansions. So I was curious what they uh, what they offered we've uh we have the there's some promo cards there's, there's some extra patron tiles but that's about i think it came the promo had like three patron tiles in it so and then uh finally um so last weekend which was my my birthday weekend we had a spelling bee in our house because my daughter um won her or she was going to do her how did that go no she won her classroom spelling bee she was going to be in the school spelling bee and that was this morning uh which she won so my my daughter is is the winner of the spelling bee but she did it last year and she kind of froze up because of the microphone and the loud you know loud from the microphone and everything so i set up my microphone here in the living room (laughs) <laughs> and I hooked it up to a, a loudspeaker and made it good and loud, and we had a spelling bee. It was uh, the two of us and, and her mom and grandma and grandpa, and we spelled her words. And I discovered that my dad is a terrible speller. <laughs> um, and then, so I'm also thinking about maybe hosting a spelling bee at at our trivia bar, which I think would be fun to have a spelling bee at a bar. For adults? For yes. drunk adults, <laughs> yep. I yes, I think that would be fantastic. Um, 
and of course, oh my god, I, I, I always go to this, but you guys haven't watched Tombstone. The uh, the maybe poker is not your game, Ike. I know. Let's have a spelling contest. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, yeah, wow. I, I misspell will... a word. Take a shot. Well, and so there's different ways that you can do it, and that's yeah. So I need to explore, you know, how that might look and kind of pitch it to the to the landlord over there at the bar. Um, but I was, it, I was reminded. Do you remember a few years ago with this girl? And she kind of lost her mind over the word UNM. I don't remember that. This would have been 19, I think it was the late 90s. And so, like, the 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 pronouncer said UNM, and she kind of lost her mind because she knew what the word was. <laughs> and she shouted each letter of the word. Um, but I, I, I linked the, the YouTube video of her losing her mind. Um, and, uh, so this girl now is, uh, she's the CEO of a nonprofit that matches professors to research assistants. Hmm. So she, she took her, her, uh, her moment of fame and kind of, um, she, she, uh, you know, made something out of it. I, I want to make the joke that that's called Tinder, but, uh, you know, <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. Sorry. And so that's what I've been playing. I, I look. L- let me expound on. Uh, uh, I can edit this out probably. Spelling B before we get too far away from it, because in the capacity of my day job, I work the state spelling B every year. So. So is that the is that the Scripps spelling B? Uh yeah. Whatever whatever okay. the na- whatever the national one is, we we do the state one, and um. It is, boy, is it, is it something? It's. I have so many stories from, from different years. Uh, like my very first year that I ever worked it, there were cops there, and I was like, "What's going on? Why are there cops here? It's just a freaking spelling bee." And they're like, "Well, there was an incident at the like whatever the semifinals were, the the regionals." Where a parent mm-hmm. disputed like uh, something that their kid—it's always the yeah, parents, always the parents—and so there were threats made, and the cops were there. Uh, I sat in on one, and this is like when they were live on television. Now you were you were the reader pronouncing all the words for the kids, right? Yeah, right. Oh uh, no, <laughs> uh, and so uh, yeah, I've sat in on it for just—I think the longest one we had was like three hours and 45 minutes, something like that. And the main reason why is because they had, they had this book that they take the words from. And it's like for like two hours, it was like cat C A T cat, you know? Yeah. They start off super simple. My kids used to do them and they were always on a Saturday morning and it, it would take all morning. That it's not for Saturday for us, boy. It's like it's like <laughs> Wednesday at noon, you know. It's and we're taking up this whole block of time, and so they were going through all these words for like two hours, literally like dog, d o g, and finally they just flipped to the back, you know, flipped three hundred pages into the back, and then they started <laughs> dropping like flies. And well, uh, yeah. So I have the list here in front of me, and it's it's expressly not allowed to be on the internet. But I can give you some of the uh, some of the words here. 
this is difficulty level three. Oxyacetylene, um, Breviloquence. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> Xyloglyphy. Oh, yeah. I, I can't <laughs> tell you. I cannot tell you how many times that I've just looked at it and gone, that's a word? What does yeah. that mean? Who has, who in, you know, modern history has spoken that word? You know, where did that even come from? Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Well, and some of these words are, um, you know, words you, you would use transients, mortadella, which I think is a kind of cheese, stanchion. Sure. So. I mean, they're, they're not like, um, I would say common. They're more uncommon type words. And of course, I always think of the South Park spelling bee where Eric Cartman gets like croxodipolgic or something like that. <laughs> and he goes, can you use it in a, si- a sentence? And it's like croxodipolic is a hard word to spell. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I always thought it would be funny, like, you know, hey, we should start a betting pool, you know, with, with the kids. We'll put money on them and go with that. But no, that would be bad. <laughs> I will say this year is the first year we're not doing it live because last year the National Script Spelling Bee discovered that there were cheaters. What they would do is they would go online to like a state that like did their spelling bee last week and watch mm-hmm. it and write down all the words cuz they're taken from you know all the words are the same. So if you watch the Mississippi Spelling Bee last week and now it's time for the Michigan spelling bee. You know what words to expect. <laughs> oh so, yeah, yeah, just sneaky stuff. So. Which I think is why that this uh, this list is supposed to not m- make it to the internet. Yes, yes, absolutely, right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, these are. I mean, some of these are highly competitive. So I guarantee there's spies out there. <laughs> well, hopefully, like there'll be like ninety thousand kids are downloading the Chance of Gaming podcast to try to get a little bit, <laughs> and they're all they're all ready they're all ready to spell croxodipolic. So there you go, fossiliferous. Yeah, they're writing it down right right now. Oh, this is gold. <laughs> okay, kids, we're gonna we're gonna give you five more words uh, scattered throughout the uh, podcast. You have to listen for them. You can't skip ahead. You have to listen to the whole podcast, and you'll get those five words that'll be in the spelling bee. So there you yep. go. All right, Wensley Dale. <laughs> was that? So we got four left. All right. <laughs> so Malifo, Malifo is um, a game produced by Weird Games and you know, WYRD, and uh, a guy at work got interested in it. And of course, you know, I'm the. If you walk into my office, you realize, uh, oh, you're the guy I talked to about you know, games and weird nerdy stuff and whatever. So he was like, you ever heard of this? I'm like, look who you're talking to. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure. I'm like, I'm don't like, you know who I am? I'm like, first of all, I've, I've played it since first edition. And, um, back when I actually played, I, I, and yes, I currently have, I think two forces for it. Of course I do. One's in a box, one's painted. And, um, yeah. So, I actually had to hop on the internet and kind of shame, do a little company shaming, because my thing was, I don't understand why my friendly local gaming store cannot get your rule book in stock when you have it in stock for sale on your website. 
Now they get your rule book through uh, Alliance distributors. Alliance is says they're out. They have they do not have any more Malifaux rule books. They need more from you. And you have it for sale from you direct. So that doesn't make any sense to me. Instead of selling it direct, why don't you actually put it out? And this is my opinion, is why don't you put it out to uh, stores so we can get it? Because, I mean, I hopped on two different Malifaux groups, and I was like, I have five people locally that have bought into this game, but we don't have the rules. And all they can do is come back with, well, the rule book's available for free off the website. I mean, that's true. But uh, I don't really know many people that actually come in with a tablet or whatever and a PDF or even print it out. It's most people like a nice, you know, printable rule book that you can throw at your opponent if you need to, you know. <laughs> yeah, it needs to be hardback or something or something you can, you know, you can catch up while you're pooping or something, you know. I don't know. People like it. And so, yeah, it's just, it's annoying to me. And their response has been, well, you know, let us tell you about, like, shipping and uh, printing costs. And, and the guy was a dick about it. He was even like, well, why you know, I could sell you some second edition rule books because we got plenty of those. Uh-huh. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, well, man, I, I'm sorry. I mean, if this is part of be, have, being a business. You know, you've got to take that risk. And he actually says something to the effect of like, yeah, sorry, we're really popular right now. And I'm like, well, you're not going to keep being popular. I mean, the fickle heart of the gamer, you know, is just there. They're like, it's like lightning strikes. And they're like, ooh, let's get into this game. Hey, guys, let's all get in it. Yeah, let's get into this. And we're going to buy and buy it. And then, like, you start to run into supply problems. I saw this with Flames of War. When the new 4th uh, edition Flames of War launched in, in my area, everybody was really keen on it until they could the uh, releases were getting delayed. People that are like, well, I want to play Russians. Well, all the plastics are delayed for like six months. And so by that time came around, a lot of people had just sold their stuff off. And now I'm left with like two or three other guys at play trying to fan the flames. Come on, guys! The, this it's out now. You can you can buy back in. It's all there. So yeah, uh, I don't know. It's just annoying to me. Like you should be more, kind of more proactive if this is kind of where you're going. Not to mention that like Malifaux is a very popular game anyway. With second edition, you should know that well. All these people that or ninety percent of the people that play second are going to buy into third. And even more people. So why not order more? I don't get it. You know, I don't. And I know we're gonna talk about a um, an interview with the guy from Academy Games. Pronounce his name, Richard. Uve Eichert. Yes, we'll talk about that. And he talks long and hard about like manufacturing and just the state of the industry from a board game perspective. So I get that. I I do. But, you know, I also get, like, you're trying to sell me something. I'm trying to buy it, but it's not available. That's not my fault. And so, so yeah. Quick question on Malifaux, though, because yes. I, I don't know that much about it. I know what it is. But what's the hook for Malifaux over, say, 40K or Legion or any of the other miniatures games out there? It's small-scale skirmish for one. 
It is okay. Um, you actually play on a, like a three by three area. Okay. And you usually play with less than ten figures each side. Oh, and their hook, their thing that they do differently, or uh, than everybody else, was it's a diceless game. You use playing cards. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, you you know you flip over playing cards each time you want to do something, so that it can, it's like a roll of a dice. I need like an, you know, an eight or less, and so I flip the card over it. Oh, I've, I've got a jack. So sure. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of their thing with it, and. You know, also it's the uh, the setting, which is kind of like steampunk esque, and you know, so that's just kind of their different. But that's all it is to me. It it's a lot like War Machine in the sense that it's very combo driven. Like you know, I've got my guy and his henchmen do this really cool thing together. You know, when they're within three inches of each other, and I roll good, well, draw a good card. Yeah, so. It's it's very combo driven kind of like that. So, so are all the figures uh, characters? There's uh, no like like uh, just regular troops. Well, you're the the person who leads your gang. I, I think that's the correct term of what it's called. Um, mm-hmm. it is a named character every time. Okay. And so the people under you can be named, or they can just be like generic people as well but yeah it's mostly character versus character type of thing like war machine is is done that way too mm, yeah which oddly enough i like it in malifaux and war machine i hate it in like 40k and all the games workshop games i hate it because they're always way too powerful and uh and they become like well if you want to win you have to field this guy so yeah anyway uh, yeah, Flames of War was the other thing I've been playing locally, although I haven't got a game. I've certainly ordered some stuff from Mike from, uh, I don't know, that's, that how, that's, that's how I do it. It does, it counts. From uh, Alter Dementia, I ordered a bunch of tanks because I don't know what happened. The weird thing is, it's like I've actually been looking for a Flames of War podcast, and I can't seem to find one that is currently in production or at least puts out uh, episodes with like a regularity my main thing is is like i want to know kind of like what's going on with the company because i don't understand the massive amount of rule books they've put out um and i do not understand i just noticed the pricing and it's i don't know if there's been an increase or or something like that my main thing is is when i started to flesh out my russians i'm like well I'm a, I love planes. I think they're really cool, and I really like how the planes work in the game. So I definitely want some uh, some Sturmoviks. You know, those things are really cool. You know, it was a flying... It used to have the flying tank rule and, and all this stuff. And so I go to actually, like, look at it, and uh, Battlefront wants $40 for two 15-millimeter planes. 40 bucks. I mean, I can't even imagine, like, how much resin that is, but that's, like, Games Workshop level, you know, pricing, and it's insane. So I was like, wow, that's bad, and I started looking at the tanks I needed. And again, it's really expensive, in my opinion, for what you actually get. And so I, yeah, I 
what you, you can you can get this stuff 3d printed and i found a free stl files for all the tanks that i needed including the tanks that are currently out of production with battlefield uh with battlefront for flames of war and so yeah i just ordered all that i think i spent like 30 bucks for just a shitload of uh tanks oh yeah, yeah my... i tell you, oh, i mean ahead. with with 3D printing as available it is right now, out of production is going to be a death knell. I mean, there's if if everyone has a 3D printer and everyone can print what they want, if you've got stuff that's not in production, you're just you're killing yourself. Yeah, uh, with this, I can see what they're doing, and it's a little annoying to me. Like they they are putting out um, books that are missing units that uh they don't have in plastic yet and and that's that's it it's like they're planning on releasing this particular tank in plastic so it's not available so it's not in this book it'll be in the next one so, so when you buy the tank do you get the rule pages to insert into the book no i will say <laughs> i will okay i will say this so, ASL actually does something kind of like that. If you buy the ASL rulebook, there are missing sections in it. But then when you buy Axis Miners or PTO or whatever, it actually comes with more pages for the rulebook. Yeah, um, I yeah I understand what you mean. And oh, I'm sorry, it's thirty dollars for to for a flight of Sturmoviks, but still, it's these are literally fifteen millimeter planes. They'll fit in the palm of your hand. That's too damn much money. I, in in my opinion, for for what it is, but okay, what they what uh, Battlefront does is they they put out cards that uh, you buy when you buy into this game. You get your rule book, you get your army book, and you get your army's cards. Now the cards have the stats for everything your army can field, whether or not they actually produce the miniature for it right now or not. So that's where you would get the stats for it. And you can even buy them electronically through their force builder if you wanted to for like a, a dollar for each different um, country or whatever, or like different type. Like if I wanted to do like a Russian armored infantry force, that would cost me a dollar. And then if I wanted to do a Russian all tank force, that would cost me like another dollar or two dollars. And I could build that way. So... Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, it seems to me that like places like Flames of War would do better to just sell STL files, along with you know if it's something's out of print, we can sell you the STL file and you can just uh, you know have it three D printed. That may be the wave of the future. I mean, it it really will. It's getting to where so many people have three D printers. Uh, you got neither one of you guys have one, right? No. no. Correct. I don't either. I, I've almost bought one once or twice, but it just seems like it's a lot of hassle. And I think like the main thing is for me is how long it takes. And so I'd have to like set it up in my garage or something. And then like, well, this print's going to take me, you know, 60 hours to, to print out whatever the hell, you know, mm -hmm. and just, eh. I didn't yeah, want to fool I, around with that. I would guess that sometime in the next 10 years, we're going to see a tipping point where not just miniature games, but maybe even all war games are, are going to kind of basically just be print and play. Well, so I like these electronic documents and whatever, and you just, you print out the pieces yourself. Yeah. 
So like this, these planes that you have here, you said they cost $30. So yeah. like if you could sell the STL file for $10, then it's, you know, it's, it's all bits and bytes. It's just pure profit. You know, for the $30, they have to pay some schmo to, to paint it and, and print it and everything, or, you know, cast it. So I will tell you, a lot of people do sell STL files like they're making. And, I, of course, I have to laugh at some of them, like, for what they want. How I mean, people want, like, some real freaking money for these things. Mm -hmm. uh, I was looking at a particular... Um, I think tank or armored fighting vehicle or something I was looking for. And so somebody had actually done one and I want to say they had it for sale for like $300 and it was a 15 wow. millimeter printout is what it would have done. So now granted that allows you to print as many as you want and then turn around and sell them if you want. But I mean, shit, that's not what I want to do. You know, I, I'm certainly not paying three hundred dollars for this when I could literally buy it, buy a figure from a dozen or more other companies for, you know, ten, fifteen. But yeah, ugh, I don't know, I don't get it. But uh, yeah, I will. I think home printing will be kind of like a thing. I don't think a company like Games Workshop will ever do it, but. I would see smaller companies doing it. It's like, hey, you know, we yeah, we're out of stock, especially like historic ones. I mean, there's no reason really not to because people give away the the STL files, you know, and yeah. And there not, are games like I think Frostgrave is one that are bring your own minis anyway, right? Right, absolutely. And I mean, with these, I mean, I, like. Stuff like uh, Privature Press or Weird or uh, Games Workshop, they're scared about uh, a piracy. You know, you can't sell a you know a hundred dollar miniature and then sell the STL file for ten bucks and then because you know I'm gonna print it out and I'm gonna sell that hundred dollar miniature for fifty dollars. And yeah, uh, they'll they'll never do that. But I think well, that's the uh, the recast market they talk about. Yeah, it is. It and, is. Uh, you know, the, one of the games that, that um, Mike at Ultra Dementia has talked about is a game called World War Tesla, which is kind of a weird war sort of game, which I believe is that's kind of that model of here's the rule book and we'll sell you the files to 3D print, which I think is that might be Fat Dragon Games produces uh, World War Tesla. World but it is, War Tesla. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I thought you said Warlord Tesla. Oh, yeah, oh. it is Fat Dragon Games. Oh, yeah, I see that. Man, there's some cool-looking stuff in there. And it's just <laughs> straight... Yeah, it is. It's just straight-up just 3D print. I love... Uh, Roy, you just cost Adam some more money. Oh, man. Uh, I love tripods, and they have some really cool-looking ones in there. You know? Yeah, these look... Uh, reminds me a lot of um, the failed... Uh, that Martian game that I bought into... And uh, but yeah, it had some really cool stuff. I can't think of the name of it, but yeah, it was a Kickstarter that went tits up after the uh, the company tried to make a go at it. And we'll talk about those failing in just a minute. I guess the only other thing I wanted to mention uh, was a book I was reading, and um, Panzer Commander: The Memoirs of Colonel Hans von Luck. It's an interesting read. I'm listening to it currently. The guy was, uh, he commanded Rommel's 7th and then 21st Panzer Division. My main thing, I found this 
because I was researching the 21st Panzer Division, which I think is really neat because um, toward the end of the war, they were using, um, they took like French armored like uh, fighting vehicles and like kind of cut the top off and put guns on top of them because they were having to make do because they didn't have anything. So, you know, it's a good listen. I'm not reading it, but it's a good listen. So anyway. Here's another word for you. Plenty potentiary. <laughs> All right, you got to spread it out because we still have, okay. We still have like six hours of show left. So, <laughs> you know. Rich, what are you up to? Oh wait, uh, Rich, you said oh. you, you're playing Red Storm. I actually bought. No, no, no. Uh, is, I can't remember if it's the one you mentioned. Uh, is Red Storm a Tom Clancy novel? Red, Red Storm, Storm Rising. Rising. Red Storm Rising. Rising. Yes. yes. I found a copy of that when I was in the thrift store today and grabbed it. If yeah, it's, it's a I, good book. Okay, cool. Anyway, yeah. carry on. So, yes, I am playing, well, played yesterday, and I'm just starting up another game now called Red Storm. Uh, we talked about it, obviously. We, we interviewed Doug Bush, and we talked about it on previous shows, but that's what I've been playing. I played pretty much all day yesterday. Um, played, we, we set it up on Vassal, so it took me, you know, a few hours to get all my, my raid planned and everything, and then we got together and got out the cardboard and pushed the counters around and um, for those who haven't heard about this game in a previous episode or whatever, it takes place in a, a theoretical uh, or hypothetical, I guess is the word, air war over Germany in 1987. Um, and it's it's all about the air war. It's all about the planning of air raids and setting up anti-air defenses and uh, combat air patrols and things like that. There are ground units in the game and they have some defensive capabilities, but for the most part, they're just targets. So in the raid that I played yesterday, I, I picked four targets off the list and I had to send in my bombers and uh, many of them got shot down. I dropped a lot of ordnance over West Germany, but I lost too many planes in the process and had too many pilots get killed. So game was considered a draw. Uh, it's a really good game. It, it came out by GMT a few months ago. It's not. It's a pretty new game, but it's it's part of a system uh, of several games now. So there's there's Downtown, which is in Vietnam. There's Elusive Victory, which is Israel Arab Wars. There's one that I always forget, the Bloody April, that's actually World War One that I haven't played. Um, and then there's Red Storm, which is 1987 Europe. And then I also played Star Wars Legion. Um, my daughter came home for for a five weeks from college, and we we played that a few times, and now she's hooked on it. So, have you guys ever played Star Wars Legion on Tabletop Simulator or anything on Tabletop Simulator? No, no, no. Um, it's it's a pretty cool program. My daughter and I have used it before. Um, we played X Wing on it a few times when I was out of town for work, and um, Marvel Champions is on there. There's tons and tons and tons of games on there um, but star wars legion is one and it's it's a pretty nice physics engine i mean they've got great terrain the minis look good in the game they've got the movement templates it's pretty easy to use and everything but she went back to college she's like i really want to play again so last weekend we fired up tabletop simulator and it took like 45 minutes to to get everything set up and then the whole thing crashed and I'm like oh. okay i can't do that again well maybe we'll try again next weekend so um it is cool, though, because it lets you try out stuff that you don't physically own. Like, you know, I, I've got all Rebels. I think I think I maybe only have enough for one skirmish of Empire and nothing from either clones or uh, CIS or whatever they call it. Um, but 
yeah, so it gave me a chance to try out an Imperial Army, which I've never got to play. But hopefully I can get it to play without crashing, and we'll try that again next weekend. So I hear that you have some blue Wookiees now. I do, yes. I took your advice <laughs> and I ran with it. And my Wookiee Warriors are a nice blue with purple spots on them. <laughs> and uh, to be honest, I'm not crazy with the way they turned out. Um, I don't know what I thought would happen, but I'm not that good a painter anyway. But I, I definitely want to... Um, use those guys in a skirmish board. I'm not sure how good they're going to be. I've hardly ever seen them used in an 800-point game, but in the smaller skirmish board, I think they might be fun to play. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try them out sometime. See how that that Dawn uh, battle condition, and then there's yes. another one that's uh, what I forget what it's called for the big board where it limits ranges. It's, yes. So you uh, have that cover where you, they can yeah, get in. Yeah, called limited visibility. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, they they really shine there. Yeah, that would be a good one for them too. I do have one picture. I'm going to toss it in the show notes. You'll see it, and um, it came from the Las Vegas Open. Yeah, uh, and it's I don't know if you guys are familiar with Disney World. Oh yes, okay. heard of it. Star Tours. Yep. Somebody 3D printed a uh, Star Tours ship and landing pad for in Legion scale. <laughs> so, so Star Tours is that the little like the room that you get in that moves around? Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Yeah, I know what you mean. No, Rich, so, that's the haunted mansion. <laughs> Rise of the Resistance is down there now, and it is it is uh, very much a very immersive experience. That's that's uh, Star Tours uh, very much enhanced. I don't want to say on steroids because I hate that phrase, <laughs> but <laughs> it's Star Tours, but so much more. Hmm. Yeah, I know it just came out. I know they've been running behind with it as well. Uh, with and just apparently that whole... super tough to get on it. Yeah. Too. And uh, uh, the guy that runs our local shop, him and his family went down there um, to to be able to catch it. My brother's an annual pass holder. He lives down there. He hasn't rode it yet because the birth of my um, nephew has slowed him down. So, but it'll happen. Hmm. Anyway. So what's next? Yeah. Then finally, I, my game of the U.S. Civil War, another GMT game, uh, big, big strategic scale, obviously, U.S. Civil War game uh, that continues. We got snowed out last week, so we didn't play, um, but we'll we'll be back at it this Thursday. Uh, we did get in one game, I guess, since the last time we recorded. So I have completely wiped the Confederates out of Missouri and I think out of Arkansas at this point, too, um, heading down toward taking memphis hopefully soon but his the uh the confederate cavalry is knocking out my supply lines and making life difficult for me so i'm playing the full campaign of the u.s civil war with a couple friends and i love big strategic full campaign games so i'm looking forward to that hmm, the u.s civil war never heard of that one okay never heard of it huh no it's <laughs> someone's should, favorite game of should, all time you talk about that more <laughs> i've never heard you mention that one anyway yeah Check it on Twitter. I'll, I'll be posting more pictures Thursday night. All right. And, uh, oh, okay. We're on to what's on your radar. And the first thing we have on our radar is Ruination by Travis R. Chance. I like this. This guy sounds great. Just like his name? He is. I mean, what if he's like a cousin or something? <laughs> and he's in the industry. That would be great. I could break in. Like, yeah, I got this great idea for a man-boob matching game. I was like, who the fuck are you? Anyway. 
Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to toss this on here, because it has our favorite uh, board game geek uh, artist on here. Oh, Roland, is it? Roland McDonald. What, there was another artist that was, uh, it was a kind of an outlandish name. Oh, yes, yes. Dad gummit. I, that, <laughs> what, okay, why do Ro- we like Roland, Roland McDonald? Roland is our second favorite one, and I can't think of the other one, and it's crazy. Yeah, the other crazy name, but yes. Anyway, Roland. And w- why do we like Roland McDonald? Because Burger King is terrible. Oh. <laughs> that's, there you that, go. that's basically it. Um, uh-huh. I don't know. It's just making fun of his name. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, what? Come on! I don't hear any jokes like this on uh, history from the tabletop. History no, you on won't. the tabletop. <laughs> All I hear is laser-like <sighs> focus on uh, the war games at hand. And in so, speaking discussion. of war games, yes. <laughs> speaking of uh, horrible games, war games. Uh, no. Speaking of war games, okay. Yeah, yeah. I've been saying for a while. I'm sure I've mentioned on this show before. I've been waiting for a good Battle of Shiloh game. Um, I have one. And it's okay. It's it's from Tiny Tiny Battle Tiny Battle Publishing called Cruel Morning. It's not bad, but it's not anything amazing either. But um, GMT has the uh, the Great Battles of the Civil War series, and I I just heard about this last week for the first time. It's called Into the Woods: The Battle of Shiloh, and it's already made its P500 cut. So um, I'm I'm obviously signed up for that one. Who knows when I'll get it? A year or two, maybe, maybe by Christmas. We'll see. Um, but I'm excited about it. So, Battle of Shiloh, great, great battles of the Civil War. I always want to confuse great battles and campaigns. Campaigns is MMP, battles is GMT. You know that reminds me. I, you know, it's this is something like I should have mentioned like earlier, but um, I yeah I guess I've been too tired. Um, you know I've you know I've I've always talked about like uh, the Kansas Historic Fest, Kansas City Historic Historic Case. Yeah. Okay, I'm really nope, tired. Just called today. Historic Fest. Yeah. End of June. And uh, anyway, been um, really uh, yeah kind of jealous, low key jealous that you know uh, that he has you know it's like wow his podcast has one step up on us. He has his own convention. So I actually decided in a good 48 hours of hyper-focusedness to uh, start working on doing my own convention in 2021. And nice. I, it will be battle, uh, the Battle of Vicksburg. Handmade t-shirts? Uh, handmade t-shirts? <laughs> uh, that, I think that would be like a Kickstarter exclusive thing. That's what I should do. Now that is a good point. Uh, we at this past week, I've seen several um, uh, podcasts actually do Kickstarters in order to fund themselves for the following year. And really, we were we were talking about Dice Tower doing that, but I hadn't seen any others. But <laughs> I guess it doesn't surprise me, eh, you know. I know um, for me, it was. Um, Another one I saw on um, Twitter, and I can't think of who it was. And I was again, I was just very surprised by like the kind of things that they um, they offer for uh, you know for you know because basically you're just donating money and what you get you know for that because like the Dice Tower was like okay well we'll, we'll give you a uh, you know a different a Gloomhaven scenario or, or whatever, but some of them were like okay at this level. You know, we're doing a um, 
t-shirt or, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I was just kind of impressed with, like, what people were doing. And these were successful. And these people were pulling down, like, big money, too. Big, big money. Because I think Tom wanted, Tom Vassell wanted, what, like a quarter of a million dollars? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, something like that. But I saw, like, a smaller one. And I swear, and this is kind of like how I judge you. (laughs) as to, like, how big you are, is, like, the number of Twitter followers they had was, like, 350-something. And they had raised, like, $16,000. And I'm like, 16 grand? Dad gum, if I had 16 grand for a year... First of all, yeah, I'd pay Richard and Roy a salary. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how much, but, yeah, they, they would get paid. And uh, I would definitely attend... I think, for me, it would be attending... Um, stuff you know kind of big stuff like gen con but i'd love to do like uh what is gmt's uh, day in the warehouse yeah that they got be, two of those i think that would be One good east and west and then like um mmp does uh they do several big kind of asl they just did what winter offensive yep that was two three weeks ago maybe yeah yeah yeah, yeah just kind of doing stuff like that something where i could like travel you know, would, would be kind of a, a, you know, a thing for that. But, uh, you know, I say that, but then, like, what if people, like, want better production quality? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know what to do there. What if they want, like, uh, dumb intro music with lots of drums? What do I do? <laughs> would I actually have to buy that? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, man. It's too much. Too much. So I'm just going to stay, like, low-key. and. You know. I think what you need to do is when we make all this money, then every other week you're going to have to fly Roy and I down to Mississippi and yes. put us in your studio. Yeah, that's what I – okay, at that point I would need – I need a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> and, yeah, we would designate about 50 grand out of that would be flights. Yeah. You guys would have to fly, like, every every time. <laughs> every other weekend, yeah. Every other weekend you're flying into Mississippi to – the other 200 grand I would spend on a studio, and I would have that. It'd be cool. So anyway. Well, I heard – I think there's some, some nice cameras just laying around outside right now. Uh, yeah, uh, they didn't pick them <laughs> up earlier. They're not that nice for what – but, um, yeah, for – yeah, anyway. I think that was before we started recording. Yeah, no, no one has any idea what we're talking about. That's right. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. What? What do you? Yeah. Can't do. Can't do it like history on the tabletop. I am saying that right. Right. Is history on the tabletop? History on the table. History on the table. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. It's not his fault. It's me because I'm I'm terrible with names and stuff. It's yeah. It's how I see it in there. Really oh, tough. let me give you another word. Um, Nuda branch. Okay, I actually know what that is. That's a type of coral. Yes. Yeah, okay. Or something like that. All right, that's like four. That's four? Yeah. So we got one more kids. Okay. One one more kids. Hold on. So anyway, uh, I'll link uh, Battle of Vicksburg, the crappy little website I threw together uh, in the show notes. And basically what I'm doing, I'm looking at, I think it was August. And for my research, it's a good time. And it will be in Vicksburg, Mississippi. So if, when, we'll see. It'd be great. It'd be great if, like, you know, all you guys flew down. You'd have to fly. I'd, I would highly recommend flying into New Orleans because it's cheaper, and then drive up to Vicksburg. You might like it. There's a nice national park there. Anyway. Mm-hmm. All right. The next thing was what I, I tossed this on here because I was very surprised that there is a Great War Advanced Squad Leader Project. You know anything about this, Richard? 
I've heard of it, um, but I, I don't really know anything about it. I was actually just found out that there's even like there's there's Korea or uh, Vietnamese uh, Vietnam War ASL. There's I think I heard something about a Civil War ASL, which is crazy to me. I don't know what that means, but yeah, I had heard of this. I've never I've never even seen anyone break it out or anything, so I don't know much about it. I'm kind of interested in it. Um, I yeah, I I kind of am. I um I'm way more interested in a Great War than World War Two, and they seem to have like a lot of stuff available for it. And this is from Critical Hit. Yeah. Right. Tell me how do they fit into the whole grand scheme of things with uh, ASL? They seem to be kind of like a big player. How They're just they... a third-party publisher. I right. mean, there's other ones like Bounding Fire Productions right. is another big one. There's a, uh, there's a can is is Critical Hit the Canadian one or there's Le Franc Le Franc Terreur, which is a French one. LFT. Um, I think Critical Hit is Canadian. Um, but yeah, they just produce modules and sometimes counters as well. So you know, they produce scenarios. Uh, I mean, anyone can produce scenarios really. The St. Louis ASL Club has a book of scenarios for the India Burma campaign. Uh, I don't think they did counters. I think they just did scenarios for that. But some of them will do uh, counters as well. In fact, um, Bounding Fire does really nice replacement counters as well. So, you know, the generic ASL counters are obviously all color-coded by nationality, but Bounding Fire does really nice, like, full-color replacement counters that look really good. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And you can buy them for, like, you could buy just the Americans you wanted or just the Germans or whatever. And I think they do have the black, uh, <laughs> the black SS counters that I love to joke about. Hmm. It's not a World War II game unless you've got black SS counters. Really? What? What, yeah. <laughs> what makes it, What makes it a World War? II? It's just scary. Well, yeah, yeah, because they're scarier that way. Oh, okay. <laughs> SS has to be black. And now that I can actually remember it, it's SiegeOfVicksburg.org. That's it. So anyway. But, uh, yeah, Critical Hit also does Advanced Tobruk System. I, I, I know less about that, but that's something I'm going to try to rectify this year. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I would love kind of just like a rundown, compare, contrast of just all these kind of ASL clones, which Advanced Tobruk System really, really looks like an ASL clone from the font to the, uh, the way the counters look and, yeah. Well, if you want a good breakdown of uh, <laughs> of World War II tactical systems, I would just say stay tuned. All right, hmm. we'll we'll break that down. And um, something else I was gonna say in that vein. Oh yeah, I see. Advanced Tobruk system has you know the rulebook available, and it's kind of expensive. Uh, apparently, MMP has a the ASL rulebook is out of print, and it's been out of print for a while. ASL rulebook is yes, just uh, in just in the sense of I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I you know I've got I actually have two. I have the the regular rulebook and the pocket rulebook, so I didn't really pay attention to see if it's in print or not. Um, I mean, I guess that wouldn't really surprise me, although it's stupid because that is, you know, I mean, ASL is the rulebook more than anything. You know, you've got. I don't know. I don't know why you would never ever have that out of print, but yeah, I, I guess it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Again, I I don't understand it, and but things happen, yeah. and 
Yeah. yeah, the pocket rulebook's great though. I have both of them, and anytime I play now, I get, um, I take the pocket rulebook and I take the charts from LFT. LFT has a nice little binder of chart of all the charts in the game. That and the pocket rulebook together are smaller than the big rulebook, and they also have an index which the big rulebook doesn't have. So, what is, what is LFT? Le Franc Terreur. It's a French company makes ASL products. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll post that in the show notes if I can find it. I'm sure I can. And, uh, yeah, flick that up. Okay. All right. So the next thing we had was, this is a Kickstarter that it uh, was in 2015, I think, and it's finally making it out to the rest of us for us plebes to actually purchase. It's called Ultimum. And I thought it was really weird and thought, you know, I'd just kind of toss it on here and see what you guys thought. And, uh, yeah, this is a game. What struck me was the weird um, kind of reptile-type guys with the um, chin piercing that they have. And, uh, yeah, not to mention it's... It is built around a dramatic science fiction story about races and people that are learning how to live together in the face of survival. It's the far future in Earth, and uh, I just like the anthropomorphic uh, bears and gorillas and not dinosaurs. So, And also the fact that it runs uh, apps is how it's, yeah. it's doing its thing. Which that, I think that's interesting. It's gimmicky, and it also makes me wonder, like, well, forget, like, you know, 10 years from now. What about next year? Are you, are your, is your company still going to be around? And so since the app is such a big part of this, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think sort of the point of this, and it looks like they're doing it a little different way. I think the point might be to create a bigger RPG community than is just in your FLGS or just your hometown or just your basement or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, I, there's this whole idea. Monty Cook tried something like this, and I can't remember what he called it, but the whole idea was to have a persistent world where you can have RPGers from all over the world, our world, playing in basically a virtual world, and what my group does in St. Louis affects what your group is going to see in Mississippi. So I wonder if that's what he's trying to go for here. I mean, that's a really cool idea, but I don't but know. how do you make it work? Yeah, I, I mean know. it's 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 a big chunk to swallow, but I don't know. I think I think there are people trying to get there, and this may be somebody that's taken a stab at that. Okay, well, I, if one of those actually freaking worked and was popular, <laughs> I think I'd be all over it. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be like, wow, this is cool. Let's go over there. So. And uh, the next thing was, this is another Kickstarter that came out, and I hate I missed this because I would have absolutely have bought into this. It's called Morkborg. <laughs> it's it's rules light and art heavy. All doom is how it's done. It's, it's from Swedish. The artwork in it is just crazy and really cool. It's apparently a kind of a Swedish black metal type. RPG, and this was the first um, English version of it, and it's it is currently shipped to its backers, and now you're starting to see um, you're about to be able to get this in the store. So, 
I kind of. I just like to say Bork Borg. I know, right? It's just <laughs> I think it should be like uh, it should be like Groot, where when you play the game, all you can say is Mork Borg. Mork Borg. It, yeah, it's just a little bit like the Swedish chef, too. Just a it would be bit. assimilated, nanu, nanu. Yeah. <laughs> that Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like more from work and the Borg. <laughs> so uh, the next thing I had, which I thought was the idea for this is really cool. And by the time you hear this podcast, I think you're going to have about 24 hours to back this if you want. So look it at it in the show notes and decide. This is the Last Fleet RPG. Or, as I like to call this, Battlestar Galactica, the role-playing game. Because, to <laughs> me, that's basically what it is. It's that whole idea, the last of humanity, fleeing across space, pursued by the implacable inhuman adversary that destroyed their civilization. They're outnumbered and outgunned. Supplies are running low. The actions of a brave few could be all that stands between humanity and extinction. Welcome to the Last Fleet. And they even use the uh, the the zodiac in in some of their uh, terminology. So you have a Gemini as a charismatic communicator, who I presume is from Gemini, uh, yes. who pursues their own agenda that might not be completely in line with the fleet's interests. So it's, it's very much is taking a nod from from BSG. I think it sure. would be funny if you had to play your astrological sign. So <laughs> like on here, I think. I'm one of those weird ones where it it depends on which one you look at. My birth date is apparently on the border of an Aquarius and a Pisces. So I could be a perceptive investigator who does not shrink from confronting the truth, no matter how painful it might be, or an er otherworldly person with strange abilities that allow them to see things others do not. Astrologers, eh? Uh But what is he? If this isn't space, aren't they all otherworldly? That is true. That's a, that's a good point. I just look out the window a lot, I guess. I'm like, look <laughs> at this. It's otherworldly. Like, yes, Adam, shut up. We're in space. We know. <laughs> ah, the artwork mm, doesn't really grab my attention. It, it to me, it just looks kind of mm, okay. You know, it's it's not it's not bad, but it's not good. So I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. Uh, let's see how... There's just, there's so many of these out there that I wonder, I wonder, you know, if, if I'm going to buy into something like this, I, I really need to know what the hook is. And this one doesn't seem to have a great hook, so... It's Battlestar Galactica. That's the hook. Yeah. Right there. I, I, I do bet, Roy, that they did not go so far as, like, the, whoever the bad guys are don't look like people, I bet. I bet they're what like, the, no, 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 wait, the Corvax, wait. right? Yeah, they're like, no, 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 that's that's too far. Let's not go that far. Let's just make them. We're just running. You know, that's all we're doing. <laughs> so yeah, we can't go that far. People, they'll know, they'll know. But psst, past that, no, nobody will get it. Nobody will think we're stealing from Battlestar the Corax. The Corax is an extra-dimensional fungus network that dwells in the Tenebrium, the same medium that FTL ships travel through. That sounds like the warp from 40K. Yeah. It does. Okay. <laughs> Which, I, yeah, that's, that's a conceit that I'll, I'll give them. All right, yeah. Let's see for, what's the minimum? Uh, of course, you know, it's a pound or more. About US $2. I don't believe that. I don't, right now. Because, like, Brexit's about to happen. How much is that? Yeah. 
History on the Ten. table. Do, History on the table doesn't do live. Um, yeah, <laughs> currency cur- translation currency exchange. Yeah. Let's see. One pound is sixteen ounces. Mm, okay, hold on. Let me fix this. <laughs> okay, I have never seen this in a Kickstarter before, but this is funny. Okay, for ten pounds, you can get the PDF if you're suffering economic or financial hardship. Or for fifteen dollar, fifteen pounds, you can get the PDF. Oh. So you can just elect to get the PDF for ten instead of fifteen, if under your for under under your own opinion, you're suffering economic or financial hardship. If you're financially on the ropes, maybe don't be spending your money on <laughs> <Yeah>. games <laughs> on a Kickstarter. Spend it on food and and rent. <laughs> Maybe. Well, see, they spent all their money. Oh, look, they've got it for the hardcover, too. For yeah. 20 pounds, you can get the hardcover PDF with on the hardship tier, or for 25, you can get it. All right, <laughs> so so one pound is 1.3 U.S. dollars. So what would be really funny is if they had the hardship tier for, like, the deluxe edition. <laughs> I can't pay the rent this month, but I really want the deluxe edition. <laughs> so inside the hardship tier, they scrawl, here's your book, peasant. <laughs> well, what about the 400 pounds? You or owe me. That's what I want. I want the squad photo hardship tier, which should cost me about 200 pounds. No, it should be everything else is a discount of five, so it should be 395. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but okay. Regardless, uh, they've met their goal. They wanted. $8,488. They, as of this podcast, have raised seventeen grand. So, this is going to happen. So, there you go. And uh, the next thing we had was Demented Games. Now, this is this is uh, Twisted, is what I want to sp- specifically talk about from DementedGames.com. This is a game I saw demoed in pictures, because uh, unfortunately I was not there at uh, the Siege of Augusta historical uh, convention that happened a, a couple weeks ago. I just thought it looked really neat. Yeah, the detail was, on the minis is really good. Yeah. Now, I will say the minis and the setting remind me a lot of Malifaux. But, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I guess kind of all the steampunk looks right. They had the Ages of Oz, which looked kind of cool. And uh, they got mummies that look kind of neat. I can't get an idea of the scale. I'm assuming it's going to be 28 millimeter, you know, that kind of heroic. But they even offer like 54 millimeter statues, you know, so you, you can be really cool or whatever. I don't know. It's just, it's a cool look. And they've spent some money for, you know, uh, graphic design and in the artwork and all that looks really cool. But, I mean, honestly, these small skirmish games are, are a dime a dozen now. You know, I, yeah. used to, I used to want these so bad, and now I'm literally tripping over them as I try to make a podcast. They're everywhere. But, uh, yeah, I just thought it looked neat. Um, and uh, I've watched a couple of the games, and so it seems to play pretty fast and nice. So, there you go. Just take a look at it in the show notes. The link you know will what? be there. Yeah. As a designer, this has to be super daunting to put all of this effort into the sculpting and the playtesting and everything else to know that you're one tiny little fish in a vast sea of other little, tiny little fish that 
you know, and how do you make your product pop? I just, I, the, the minis look awesome, but I feel like it's probably d- destined to fail. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, we'll talk more about that in a minute when we get to Uva's oh, yeah. uh, thing, because he, ta- he talks about that. And yeah, we'll get to that in just a second. The next thing we had was Vorpal Board. And I wanted to see what you guys thought about, because if we all buy into this, we could all play it together. However, I have some <laughs> concerns. This is a... Their tagline is, play your tabletop games with friends anywhere in the world. It's like, first of all, you don't know me. I don't have friends, so how can I do this? <laughs> so it it's basically... One, a host sets up the board game, and you have this stupid thing that's supposed to hold a microphone, holds your phone over this board, and then you have a separate computer or tablet in order to like look at the, the game as mm-hmm. I get it, so... And it even has like a little thing where you can roll dice, and so Richard and Roy could see what dice I roll, and yeah, and we all move our stuff. I, I don't know. It's yeah. I mean, honestly, you can you can just do that with a camera now. If does everyone have to own a copy of the game? Does everyone have their own game set up? No, no. It's a host. The host has the game. So only one, and everybody else is basically just video conferencing in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what's that. new about this then? What is what? How is this different from just a, a video conference, basically a phone, whatever? They want twenty grand for it. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what's new that's about what's it. Different. Well, this you have the hardware too. Yeah, it's you. Get I mean, that. it's a little bit of hardware yeah, and a I, lot of software. Yeah. Yeah, I see. I see the software in. It's that, my biggest question out of this is like, can't we do this through Skype now? Yeah, that's yeah. You know? I mean, this. This seems like something that is already existent, except I, I like, like Roy said, I guess they're just packaging it up. So, but it can be done now. I know there's a couple guys. Um, one of the guys has an ASL blog, and he plays online every single weekend uh, with a friend of his, and they're they're two states apart. Um, and all they do is they they just both set up the board at their house, and they have a camera over a dice cup and that's literally how they play and they just say okay well i'm moving from hex 5718 to 5719 and whatever so oh, it can be done so a little bit deeper in the article there there's a the little base stand for the arm is also a in effect is kind of like a flatbed scanner so you put the card in there and close it up and then you take a picture of the card okay yeah, so, the, the little dice roller thing or whatever. Yeah. It's yeah. this card scanning box and smartphone. Wait, wait, hold on. Okay, now looking at the thing, it's like, is this what I need or what it comes with? This says board streaming smartphone. And then it says card scanning box and smartphone. Do I have to have two smartphones? And then web browser connected to session, which would be through a laptop or uh, a... corner sharing. Yeah. I mean, it... it I guess I can I guess I can sort of see the appeal. It's it is an all in one solution for somebody that maybe doesn't want to set this stuff up. But I mean it looks like I mean I, I think I could do this with WebEx. 
mm-hmm. which I have access to. So I don't know. Again, I think it's, you know, I was just talking earlier about uh, my frustration with tabletop simulator. So if this made something easier like that, then sure, there's a market for it. What do they want for it, though? I can't see how much anything costs. Oh, here it is. Let's see. Uh, like 75, 75 bucks. Yeah, 75 bucks. And, and okay, all you get is the... 75, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously 75 bucks plus you provide the iPhone <laughs> or Android or whatever. Okay, now check out the last line there. And two free months of host subscription. So this thing is going to cost money yeah. for whoever's mm. hosting it. Whereas, mm. like, Vassal's free... Um, Tabletop, tabletop simulator, simulator is a one-time cost. Yeah, it's, it's cheap you, too. You can get it for ten bucks when it goes on sale. Yeah. Yeah, and so I mean, the other thing with this is like, okay, if you're doing kind of like back-end stuff, server type stuff on this thing, um, are you still going to be there a year from now, two right. years from now? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like that, and I swear. Looking at it, it really looks like you need. Okay, you can do one smartphone, but you don't get that cool thing where you can scan the scanning box. So you or do need a second one for that. You don't need it, but you can use it because yeah, mm-hmm. the uh, the host setup is either one smartphone streaming on that stupid thing, uh, microphone stand, or you can do two. I don't know. It's I don't know. I don't think it's worth seventy five bucks to me, because basically all you're getting is that um, yeah the stupid mic stand and um, remote player pieces and then the the box which looks kind of cheap. Mm-hmm. It really looks like it was just laser cut, you know, yeah. balsa wood or whatever. So now I think I'm gonna do a hard pass on Vorpal board, mm. but not that they give a shit because all they wanted was twenty grand. 23 days to go and they've raised $35,000. So, yeah. I mean, that I mean, I th- it, it does point out um, <clears throat> maybe need is too strong a word, but there's definitely a desire for more interconnected gaming um, without without having to sit in a room with someone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really wish I look, I've said it a 100 times, Vassal makes my head hurt just even thinking about and trying to like put figure out how to do it you know how to get the things working and yeah and so i like tabletop simulator but i don't really have any experience with it for wargaming most people are like well i play vassal and for all the other board game stuff people are like well i do tabletop simulator so i don't know i wish there was like this a, a super easy way to do like asl or something you know whatever well, I mean, Vassal started with ASL. That is true, but well, like I said... That's why it's called Vassal, is virtual ASL. It gives me a headache, so... <laughs> anyway. You need hey. a better monitor. So, and I'm, this next item is mine. I, You know, we were talking last week about the uh, the rules cyclopedia, yeah. which is kind of the basic. Yeah. I, I think we're going to play some uh, D&D Redbox coming up here pretty soon. Awesome. Just kind of... What like nineteen eighty. When you say basic, you mean like the original? Yeah. Not like first edition. Right. Yes. Okay. Cool. The red box D and D. So. So you're gonna have to figure out Thaco. You betcha. <laughs> so that's uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I think I'm gonna run some, uh, you know, Caves of Chaos or, or something like that. 
one of those old old school modules, which are available on Drive Through RPG. I've always wanted to do um, keep was it keep on the Borderland? Yep. Yeah, yeah, because it just sounds cool because it's ba- kind of based on that House of the Borderland, which I really dig. The the short story. Keep on yep. the Borderlands. I thought that was the one with the aliens and laser guns. That's uh, caves on the caves of That's chaos. That's caves of chaos. Oh, okay. Yeah. Aliens yeah. in my D and D. Yep. It's uh, Earthshaker. Yeah. Earthshaker oh. is the one where it's a giant robot. I think. Hmm. Okay. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know, but it, whatever it is, it sounds cool. Man, no wonder there's an old school renaissance now. Yeah, because people want this <laughs> crazy bullshit. Yeah, I like it. So and what, uh, yeah. Oh, and then moving on to uh, monumental. All right. One other thing before we go okay. on about D and D. Yes. My favorite when I was a kid, I just have the best memories of picking up a D and D module, and when you open it up and the the cover is the map. Yeah. You remember that? Yes. I don't know why I loved that so much, but man, that brings back good memories. So the cover of my red book fell off. Like yeah. I wore it out. Yeah. And so I replaced it with the cover to to keep on the borderlands. Oh yeah. So I have that that map still and it's held together with box tape and and uh I flip through that book and all the pages are worn and dingy and there's there's twelve year old me scribblings in the corners and and uh all that kind of stuff my my rpg group broke up a a while back and eh, i think it's last summer and i'm really missing it oof okay so we can move on oh uh (laughs) so uh monumental is a game that my friend dana kickstarted and uh, it is almost shipped he said it was we were we almost got it but there was a punch board that they missed in the box so they had to hold it off like another three or four weeks uh, to get it sent out, but it's a, this is a 4x game uh, that he backed, and so I'm looking forward to giving this a play. It's called Monumental with uh, plenty of little figures and stuff. Yeah, we're we're just about to hear about all the importance of miniatures. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, let's move into that. Uh, what we've been teasing the whole damn show is uh, Uva Eichert, Eckert, Eichert, Eichert. Nice gentleman from uh, Academy Games did an interview, and I saw so many people talking about this. I had two or three people actually send it to me and talk about, like, have you seen this? Have you read it? And um, we're not going to play it here because it's, like, really long. It's like a couple hours long. Yeah, it's it's about two hours long. And so um, we – I'll have it posted in the show notes. I really – if you're interested in, like, the industry and Kickstarter and all this stuff and, like, you know how the sausage gets made it's really something worth watching uh kind of like the things i took notes on and kind of took away from it was uh he sees there's way way too there's a huge over saturation and his formula and this is his math i mean maybe he knows i certainly don't he talked about um what retailers both online and in stores have to deal with is there's about 30 games a week come out so if you can imagine like generating SKUs for that and trying to stock it he also sees like a big consolidation in the future with all these little companies being absorbed and to touch on that the 30 games a week coming out i mean that the effect of that according to him 
is that nothing stays on the shelf for very long because if 30 games come out this week, then 30 more games are going to come out next week. And a month from now, the games that came out this week are just not available anymore. So it's what he's calling, a, I think he called it a pump and dump um, yeah. publishing model. He mentioned one game. He was like, you remember this one? And I swear it was like um, like Dominion or Catan. You know, it was one of those early big hits. And, like, do you remember, like, how long that that game was a hit? And it was, like, nine months, you know, that it was, like, people really, really wanted it and really wanted to play it. I guess Wingspan would be a good point. But I think what drove it was the available – it was not available. So it it was super hot for about three months. I mean, I – I really hesitate to to throw any argument back at him because he obviously knows what he's talking about more than I do. But I'm not sure I agree with him on that either because there are games that have been popular. I mean, look at Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven's, what, three, four years old now, and it's still one of the most popular games out there, as big as it is and as many people have it. Um, I mean, it's still, it's still available, and I, I think that there are it's true that there are a lot of games coming out but i think there are a lot of good games coming out i don't see how that's a bad thing there are definitely games that are coming out that and and obviously it's it's very personal for everyone what i think is a good game may not be what you think is a good game but there's so many choices out there that's a good thing for everyone and if games aren't staying on the shelf um either they sold out and they're going to re- get reprinted or they're just no one's interested in them they shouldn't be there in the first place or, I mean, maybe they should have been printed because there was an initial interest, but the interest isn't that big. And, I mean, that's capitalism. That's just the way it works. Well, uh, Gloomhaven is three years old this year. And, okay. I mean, you're right. It it was super hot. But, again, I think part of what drove that hype was it's in, you couldn't find it. You know, it was a really big Kickstarter. And then, um, yeah, you, you couldn't find it on the shelf for a long time. And see, I really expect by end of this year, just uh, you can find Gloomhaven on the secondary market for little to nothing, because so many people bought it, and it's like I mean, he didn't. Well, so part much... of the problem with Gloomhaven too is I don't think the the box itself is going to have much resale value because the components are going to get to some degree used up. You can. You can buy like the sticker sheet and you can try to spare some stuff. But if you're really playing the game, it's going to lose a significant portion of its resale value. So I don't think – whereas a lot of games, I can play it a number of times, get what I wanted out of it and sell it, and it's still in great condition. Gloomhaven is not so much that way. Hmm. Okay. Now he talked about uh, Kickstarter is big on here. He was like, man – Everybody's on yeah. Kickstarter. There's a this whole was lot the of big thing he talked about. Yeah, yeah, and he was like, he said, I cannot tell you how many offers I get a week of people trying to sell me, you know, their game because they're going bankrupt. You know, they did this Kickstarter, and he does the whole math. He breaks the whole thing down with the the guy from yeah. No Enemies here giving some pretty funny commentary on it, and uh, I mean, it makes sense. It's yeah. Your, and- I don't know if you remember when we interviewed Jamie Stegmeier, um, he told us at the time that one of his stretch goals that was not met, oh, and coins. I think it was the metal coins. Yeah. yeah. He's like, if that would have been met, it would have been a disaster for me. Yeah. But he was 
lucky that the stretch goal didn't get met and he didn't have to fulfill that. So, so that makes sense. I mean, I can see, but then again, I, it's, it's hard to say because I mean, with Kickstarter, you're setting your own price. Shouldn't you be setting a price that allows you to make money? Uh, I mean, I, I, again, I'm not an expert. I took one economics class in college, but I remember, you know, the whole, the curve and everything. And I remember that you get to the point where if a single, if producing a single unit makes you a dollar, that's how many units you make. That's what I remember from economics class. I, I think the, the thing was the fear of not, you know, not making it, of your game not being published you know, yeah. keeps that kind of price low. And he said, you know, some of these people do not know anything about the industry. It's I like guarantee you, that. It's yeah. like you have this great idea for a game, and he talks about, yes, your game is great and all this stuff, but you don't know the first thing about trying to get it manufactured and, like, all these little different problems, these different little things that pop up, and, and yeah, kind of makes it where you're not making any money. You know, your, your Kickstarter was... A million bucks and successful and you know you're in the hole for a hundred grand after after shipping you know so i yeah that was really i guess it shouldn't be as surprising but it was to me <laughs> one comment he made made me laugh was like hey you want your kickstarter to be successful have a shitload of minis in it yeah he's like every damn time you know a shitload <laughs> of minis and he was like and you would not believe what those things cost to get sculpted and to be produced, you know, and so. Actually, yeah, I would. I mean, I'm – in some of the – I mean, we've looked at several today, but some of them appear to be really high quality with good sculpts. And But, yes, there are – I mean, every single show, how many new minis games do we talk about? Two or three every oh, yeah. show? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and it's gotten to the point where, like, in a Kickstarter is I do not care. I don't want miniatures, <laughs> you know. I'm like, because I look at it as like, well, you could save me $30 off this thing by not offering the miniatures, you know. Yeah. So, anyway. But, he, I mean, he talked about, like, how it would affect stores for local brick-and-mortar stuff. And he's like, you know, the little smaller kind of crappy stores that are kind of stuck in their ways are going to close. And, uh, but the, the rest of them are going to have to be kind of innovative. I'll tell you this, my local store, Vans Comics and Cards, in, or Vans CCG, I'm not sure what they're going by, uh, which one is it is now, because they bought it and it was one name and they changed it to another. Um, I should know. I spent a lot of money there. They uh, do not do a lot of board game business. However, people bring them in and play them like all the time that's just not where their money is and they it just takes up too much there's too much space on the shelf the it's too difficult to chase the hot thing that's going on this month and because you do you have to be as a retailer you have to buy into kickstarters you know you'd have to buy into like 10 15 kickstarters every month yeah. To try to try to get ahead of, to be hot of whatever's hot, and it's not going to be hot for very long. So they just they don't really deal with it. They're like, you know, if you want to play board games, bring them in. Oh yeah, the yeah. Other, I can. The other thing is uh, uh, keeping up with uh, online stuff. You know, you're trying to sell this thing at what you think is a good discount of say twenty percent, 
but you can get it on Amazon for 50% off. Yeah. Um, my local game store has definitely struggled the last few years. They they went out of business for a few months, and then they opened back up, and they, they moved a block away. Um, there was rumors that they were going out of business again and a few months ago, and they like even post on Facebook, like, I don't know where these rumors are coming from, but we're not closing. Uh, and then just recently, they they got a liquor license, and they said, we're going to start selling alcohol here. And they even said, like on their Facebook post, they said, this is the only way we can stay in business. We can't stay in business selling games anymore. So this is not Miniature Market, though, right? No, not Miniature Market. Oh, okay. This is a, an, another local place. <laughs> miniature okay. Market is, is doing okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, okay. yeah, if they but were... maybe that's part of their problem, too, is, you know, they're five miles away from Miniature Market. Mm. Oh, yeah. I can't. I cannot imagine trying yeah. <laughs> to compete with Miniature Market, you know, in town. Wow. You really, really would have to be. Yeah. Yeah, something. <laughs> If Miniature Market got their liquor license, maybe they would. The other place would just close. <laughs> Who knows? Oh yeah, and if, they, if they were having trouble, uh, we would have. That would be our lead story. Um, uh, you know, which reminds me, uh, a guy I know, uh, his store that had been in his family for 65 years closed this week, and I'm going to try to get him on and interview him for the next uh, show. Because my main thing is, like, I would like to know... I mean, we could talk about the history because it was a big uh, place. It was a big store in Pensacola, Florida for 65 years. It's like his grandfather started it. And yep. You so, talked about this last week, too. Yeah. And so I want to know... We The history's neat and all, but I really want to know what his opinion is of, like, well, why did you have to close? I mean, maybe it's maybe it's not you know, an economics thing. Maybe he was just like, I won the lottery, I'm done, or whatever, or I'm dying, or I don't know. But I, I'm assuming it's economic, and so I would like to know why. You know, what? why Why does he think it closed? Was it, you know, online competition, or this, that, and the other, or not enough foot traffic? I don't know. I just, you know, he said he, he agreed to an interview, so I'm going to try to catch him this week so we can have it for the next show. And, uh, yeah, I'm just very curious. And so we'll see how it goes. And I guess the last thing to say that um, Uwe said uh, was he did not see Kickstarter as being as profitable in the future. So, I don't know. If you don't do Kickstarter, how are you going to get your game out there? What are you going to do? You know, actually, you know, get a loan or whatever. And, yeah. I mean, how yeah. did it? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of this goes hand in hand and and he talked about um he talked about publishing which i thought was interesting um especially you know whether there's there's because people say once you self-publish it do it yourself he's like well that's not what we do we're, we're we develop games we're not a publishing company so it makes more sense to let a publishing company do the publishing because that's what they do um but just the whole publishing and like we talked about the 3d printers all of this just means that the market is changing and i don't think anyone quite knows where it's going yet so there's going to be up upheaval and turmoil as we go through this process and we'll settle down somewhere and the market will decide what's what can be supported yeah Absolutely. The invisible hand of the free yeah. market <laughs> will will decide it all. So, 
On to um, actual news, and I guess this should not be on news. I should have put it on what's on your radar. But uh, Precinct Omega is coming from the War Games website. War Games website is kind of something I, I stumbled on about a year ago. It's pretty neat uh, for my kind of thing, where it's you know people were talking more about like miniatures and stuff like that, even in the historic sense. They seem to have a bunch of different stuff on there. Well, apparently they're doing their own version or a um, sequel. It's either a sequel or expansion, and it's called Precinct Omega, which will be a 15 to 28 millimeter sci-fi skirmish game, but it uses the same core mechanics as Horizon Wars, but with more detail. So I don't know if you call that an expansion. I, to me, it's more like a remix, I guess is what I would say. I like uh, Horizon Wars for, I used to do uh, 15 millimeter sci-fi with it before I decided, you know, even that's too big. I want to go to six millimeter so I can have lots of room. So there you go. Uh, the next thing I found really interesting, and I wanted to see what you guys thought about uh, Hero Forge 2.0. They went have gone viral, you know, whatever. I hate that term. With <laughs> uh, their new Kickstarter, and uh, I gotta say, it's it, boy, it's a lot of ca a lot of cash that they uh, got with this thing. I mean, but if you guys are familiar with Hero Forge, it's basically like you design your own miniature. Yeah, and which it is. It's pretty cool. Yeah. If if you're if you're planning on playing a long campaign and you're going to do it for a while, for like twenty five bucks, you can get a miniature that looks exactly the way you want your character to look, mm. and I think that's pretty cool. I don't know that I would pay a hundred and fifty to have it professionally painted, but yeah, some people have more money than me. Yeah, but they're they're doing like a they they're going to do basically the same thing they did, only it's a color Kickstarter. Yeah, which I it allows full color 3d printing of miniatures so I, I mean they're showing painted miniatures like in the advertisement but i don't think that is what it would be i mean i think you could get like maybe the wings a different color than the actual body or something like that that seems more feasible than actually having it painted but still i gotta say i do want to get her, get on here and see what ridiculous thing i could make to be like, this is my character, you know. Yeah. Oh, there's some pretty funny stuff. I mean, there's, they've yeah. got a ton of options on it's there. It's a morbidly obese um, <laughs> Burt Reynolds. Is, yeah, that's what I'm going for. Sure they a, could do it. A dick butt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the next thing we had was, uh, this is Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news. 2020 most anticipated most anticipated tabletop RPGs. And uh, there are several things on here that I thought was like really cool. I see. Uh, it's basically a top 10 list, but the first one is Cortex Prime. And I'm like, yeah. You know, it's like, hey, this is um, sort of Firefly, Steampunk. It's just what I, I don't care. It, the next one I was more interested in, which was Fading Suns, coming from Ulysses Field. I've always kind of dug that that setting. You know, <clears throat> it's kind of like, to me, it's, it's not quite like Traveler, but it's just kind of, we're at the end of civilization. You know, we, we've, we've reached the stars, we, we conquered it, we, we fought over it, we lost it, and, you know... 
and now it's kind of like it's a dark age of humanity with the stars dying you know so it's i always always thought it was really cool so i'm excited for that number eight was the stargate role-playing game that's cool i honestly think stargate if you ever watch you know a season you're like wow this is basically like a role-playing game because they just go through the stargate and they're on a different place and there something happens and they have to do it and yeah so i you guys watch stargate at all i I, think i saw the first movie but that's it yeah i really enjoyed the film i've seen a few episodes of the tv show i it didn't hold me as much as the film did i really 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 dig it i think it's like 13 seasons plus two other mm-hmm. spinoffs i always with macgyver that. yes with macgyver absolutely i always forget that's O'Neill o'neill with two l's um <laughs> i uh always skip the first two seasons when i uh watch it when i rewatch it but it's it's highly entertaining it's, it's comfort television for me you know something mm-hmm. i throw on and really dig it uh, rivers of london from uh chaosium eh, i don't really care you know, I am interested though in the next one, which was number six, Swords of the Serpentine from Pellegrine Press. It is a sword and sorcery game of daring heroism, sly politics, and bloody savagery, set in a fantasy city rife with skullduggery and death. So this ah. reminds me of the uh, the Gentleman Bastard books by Scott Lynch. Hmm. The it, I forget what the name of the first one was. It did say it was inspired a lot by Fritz Lieber, Terry Pratchett, and Robert E. Howard. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess that's a little bit more pulp, but... Uh, well, that... and Pratchett, you know, Ankh-Morpork would be a fun uh, role-playing game. Surely that's available. I don't know, because I don't he really did some... I don't know. I don't know, he did some tabletop stuff. Uh, they're doing Warhammer Age of Sigmar, whatever. Uh, number four was Fallout. That's coming. I mean, we talked about that a little bit, and I honestly thought it was already out. But um, yeah, that that would yeah that would go really good. And plus, mm-hmm. you know, you had the figures um, from the tabletop game, so it could really roll into whatever. I mean, I wish I knew enough about like the systems and stuff to say whether or like, well, I really liked that when they were doing you know the the two D twenty system like in Mutant Chronicles, but I don't know enough about it. But it is a Modifius, which, in my opinion, it's um, it's a not American company, so it's kind of expensive uh, on that mm-hmm. end. So the P- the PDFs are usually like where I go with that, and I wait till they're on sale. Number three is really big. That's going to be Cyberpunk Red. Cyberpunk is everywhere this year uh, in 2020. Uh, I know the video game is coming out in September. It got pushed back, and uh, the the role playing game has been revitalized. And yeah, so it's gonna be really big for sure. Uh, number two was Vazen, a Nordic horror role playing. Normally, I wouldn't care, but this is being done by free the free league. You know, free Elegan. Uh, I own most of the stuff that he's done, and uh, this is based. This guy that does like Tales from the Loop and all that stuff, and this one is based on the work of Swedish illustrator and author John Ergerkrans. It is a dark gothic setting steeped in Nordic folklore in the Miz of old Scandinavia. So uh, I like the artwork; looks pretty cool. And of course, number one, Dune is coming from Modifius. 
I really think that's cool. I I honestly can't remember. Has Dune ever been an RPG? Surely it has. But Boy. It seems like it should have been, but I can't remember one. So uh. Yeah, I can't ever remember seeing it on the shelf or in a bargain bin or anything like that. So it would be really cool, I think. When is that film coming out? Ooh, I don't know if we get it. I don't think we get it this year. I think we get it in 2021. Okay. I could be wrong. Um, the next thing we had was a kind of rundown on Kickstarters and games in 2019. And, uh, this kind of supports a lot of things that it was said. And, uh, the games category is growing. In 2019, the games, uh, the total amount pledged was 208 million and some change. Which is crazy. Uh, the amount of projects were 7,000 projects. Now, the total number of projects per year that were funded were 3,700. That were not funded were 3,300. Sounds a little over half. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, at least it's in that. Um, tabletop games are, are huge. You know, they went from... They went up about 10, 12, 10, 12 million more in dollars between 2018 and 2019 and uh yeah the again totally the pro number of projects are climbing and so yeah you can look at all these damn charts and stuff and yeah it's it's basically tabletop games are super super hot and i guess we should all know that at this point hmm. uh the next thing we had was and <clears throat> plastic soldier company is doing some 15 millimeter plastics for Mordom et Glorium. Did I pronounce that right? Sounds pretty good. I think mm -hmm. so. Which um, you've been practicing, haven't you? Adam? Yes, it's it's all the spelling B. Yeah, <laughs> Mordom et Glorium. That's going to be on the uh, test, kids. So go for that. <laughs> uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about that is specifically is because that game Mordom et Glorium is done by a guy who lives in Mississippi on the coast um his local group was really into ancients gaming and he was just decided that like a lot of people you know just like whatever i'm going to make my own game only he made it and published it and people seem to like it uh, like it enough that they have that well i mean he's got plastic soldier company doing you know box sets for him and he is i know there's tournaments over in england and stuff like that i the weird thing is i think it's more popular in the in europe than it is in the u.s but <clears throat> i just thought that was really neat i don't know him i have a couple of friends that game with him so i kind of want to try to get him on the show at some point but i think i really need to buy a copy of this rule book and read it and see what i think of it first you know, I, I would, yeah, that probably would really annoy him if, like, God, I'll tell me about your game because I don't know anything about it. Because <laughs> I could be asked to, you know, actually, you know, research, but whatever. Because I am not history on the tabletop, and that's why. So, okay. no one gets these jokes. It's the whole thing. Just li listen to their, <laughs> listen to their show. You'll understand. We're, we're laughing on the inside. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the next thing was Age of Ambition, fantasy role playing in changing times. I like the artwork on this mm -hmm. a lot. Um, 
I don't know what is what makes Age of Ambition different, but it's okay. So yeah, I mean that's the thing is it, it so it says on there where is it? Um, setting in it, leaving the traditional fantasy milieu behind, and then you look down there and it looks okay. So you've got a lifestyle character creation system birth omens life events yeah i've seen that before fully realized fantasy setting social dynamics history magic policy yeah i've seen all that before uh wide spectrum of power influence from peppered systems for personal ambitions social chains and i've seen all of this before i don't i have no idea what's different about any of this you've never seen one thing with this title before though that has all that stuff in it oh yeah they're rapidly leaving everyone else behind yeah yeah. Well, he does say he's inspired by Terry Pratchett's disc, Discworld, and my wife is a Terry Pratchett fan, so maybe I, I, she would look at it and think it was cool. I will hmm. say they've got 23 days left to go, and they they wanted three thousand dollars. They raised six thousand seven hundred. Yeah, the I think the main buy-in for a physical copy is forty. Yeah, forty bucks. But what I hate is shipping is separate. And I really feel like that's kind of like where we get screwed as a consumer. Now I know you can like do the look at the estimated shipping costs, but I swear, I you know the shipping costs on that forty dollar book will end up being like fifteen dollars. You know, and yeah, that's, that's just that's, that's always the case. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, that just comes down to like, well, I really want this game, you know, before anybody else. But I will tell you. There's no guarantee that you you'll get that. There's a lot of Kickstarters that end, and then before everyone has gotten their copy, you can find it for sale at a convention or you know your your local gaming store for less than what you paid for it. So anyway, the last thing we had on here was War Gods of Olympus, a mythology miniature battle game, and I put this on here because. I used to own this rule book, and I liked the background for it. That is War Gods. And I knew they went through some financial problems probably six or seven years ago, and I thought they were gone. They had, you know, folded, bankrupt, whatever. And, but apparently they're still here, and they're trying to get their, you know, next thing, you know, backed. And, uh, yeah, so there you go. And, um, uh, actually, you know, apparently looking at this, this is their Kickstarter. It, it, it has ended. It was successful and they are shipping it. Now I will say they are apparently shipping it, looking at this, was it six years after it's done? Yes. Six years after <laughs> it was done. Six years. Wow. This was done in 2014. And it's 2020. Wow. Okay. Wow. All right. That's, that's, I'm completely shocked at, at where this is. But I guess I shouldn't be. But, yeah, this company's still around. And, yeah, they they shipped their Kickstarter six years after it came out. So that should serve as a warning, kids. And in fact, this entire episode should about the evil of <laughs> Kickstarter. You know, I think the real reason you wanted to talk about is because we only talked about five or six mini games, and you want to get in on one more. Yeah, just one more. 
And he goes, oh, I'm not at my best. This is not one of my best shows. It's because being tired and, you know, just off my game. I, I, did you ever get to eat your Taco Bell? I did. I did. <laughs> That's I did, good. Did. But it didn't help, you know. And it's like, wow. Now is The weird thing is, like, you get to this point where you're tired and you need caffeine. And But if you consume said caffeine, you'll be up all night. And you won't get the rest, and then you still have to get up the next day, and you'll be even more tired. It's it's a vicious cycle, kids. It's a vicious cycle. So, anyway. So, that's the end of the show. And, uh, yeah, I should have time to edit this tomorrow. In the meantime, while you're waiting for this, you should definitely check out um, the latest History on the Table podcast episode for a, um, a surprise. You should check that out. You know. I've heard it twice. I think I got about halfway through it um, today. <laughs> um, it was I was surprised at the length of it. You know, that's what she said. And um, <laughs> how did we both miss that? Right? I, know. I, don't know. I, I gave you literally okay. half a second. Yeah, we have to say it's, you have to edit it in. <laughs> it's late for me too. Mm. Yeah. But, but anyway, I guess I guess we'll say good night and uh, yeah. So see you later. Good night, everybody. Your final word is abattoir. Ooh, I know what that is, too. All right. Good night, everybody. <laughs>